All right, if you have your copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Amos. We're just looking in Amos chapter uh, 6, Amos chapter 6, just verses 1 to 7 uh, for this morning, and then we're covering uh, really the rest of uh, chapter 7 next week. And um, we're, we're going to read through the verses a little bit at a time, uh, a bit later on. If you haven't been part of our series on Amos, then I challenge you to... Um, to go back and read through at least the first five chapters of Amos and now into, into chapter 6. Some great challenges for us as the church today. Some great challenges for us to uh, not just talk about our love for God, but to, to live that out. And while we're, while we're still here, while we have this opportunity, you know, one of the things that is, um, is certain in life is that our life here is not going to last forever. And so... If the Lord doesn't return first, then each one of us are going to, to have our last day uh, on this earth and uh, are going to kind of meet our end in that. And yet we're here for a purpose as God's church to share His love and to, to lead people to Him. And so I want to challenge you, read through these first five uh, chapters and now into chapter six, some great challenges for us to the church, not only to talk about being a church, but to try to actually be that church. Now... Having, um, having grown up on a farm, there was always something to do. Now, um, excuse me, not, just, um, not just the work part. Of course, there's always lots to do with, um, with feeding the cattle and the, the different animals and things. Um, one of the, the great jobs you get to do every day was count the cows. That's really exciting. Huh? Um, and... Uh, well, I got pretty good, though, through the years at, at counting cows. You know, they're moving around the field, and you've got to count them as they're moving, which always helped me with counting people in church. So not that I think that you guys are a bunch of cows or anything, um, but uh, you're easy to count, even if you're moving around for your coffee or something. Um, I can help out with that bit. But, um, yeah, there was always lots to do with uh, the working and, yeah, of course, bailing hay and fixing stuff and all that. But I remember uh, growing up on the farm, just all the adventures there were. It just seems like every day there's an adventure to be had. And you're outside. Um, I was outside hiking through the bush and uh, fishing in the creek and building cubby houses and all that kind of stuff. Um, you could be on a, a different sort of adventure every single day, and, and I was, and I, I love that. And um, I found, though, that the adventures are out there and, and the work is out there uh, if you're willing to find the adventures or if you're willing to do the work. But, and I was always loving that. I always loved the work on the farm, and I always loved the adventures. But then it was my sister. And my sister, growing up on the farm, uh, grew up a very different life than, than I did. I found when I was always wanting to go and play outside and do this stuff, my sister was never interested in going outside. I wanted to, to kick a ball or to go climb something. She wanted to sit inside and dress up her stuffed animals or play with dolls. Yuck. Who wants to waste a day like that? I thought, what a, what a waste of living in such a great place and so many great adventures. And then there was my older brother, who my mom always referred to as a couch potato. Now, I always thought that's a weird phrase. It's still a weird phrase. Um, but I thought, what, what in the world is a couch potato? Well, my brother was never interested in living on a farm, although he'd never really known anything else. He was technically born in the city, which is a town of about 4,000 people, but still we called it the city. Uh, of Williamsburg, and um, my parents have always said that he's the, 
the city boy. He's never enjoyed living on a farm. Now, I wasn't born on the farm either. I was born in a little country place called Idiot's Branch, okay? which may explain a few things. I don't know. But I was born out on Idiot's Branch, and then when, right before my sister was born, which was, I was three years old, uh, we moved to this farm, which is where my dad was raised. And uh, so all my life, really, we've been raised on this farm. But my brother Chris would just, uh, all day long, he would either lay in his room or lay on a couch and just kind of watch TV. And uh, so mom would refer to him as a couch potato, which, again, is, is a bit of an odd phrase. But the phrase is really given to someone who, who has responsibility or has been blessed with so many resources and opportunities but just isn't interested. And uh, they just want to lay around on the couch and kind of enjoy the, the comforts of life. Well, today, our series in the book of Amos takes us to this passage really about a couch potato church and uh, a warning for us not to become like them. And so, um, look with me here. We'll have it on the screen just uh, for verse 1 to begin with. We'll read in Amos chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Let me just lead us in a word of prayer. God, I thank you for the precious gift of your word and for opportunities to study it together, to learn together, to be challenged together as your church. Lord, help us to not be complacent. Help us, Lord, to not even be comfortable, but to be challenged every day to step out into your great adventure of ministry and mission and sharing your love and your mercy in our community. Help us, Lord, to be the church you want us to be. Train us in how to do that together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, complacent is a, the big word that kind of stands out to me when I read through, through verse 1. Whoa, to you who become complacent. Now, complacent defined as uh, the dictionary defines it uh, from dictionary.com if you want to look that up. It says, complacent is to be pleased especially with oneself or one's merits, advantages or situation, and etc., often without an awareness of some potential danger or defect. So to become complacent means to be pleased, especially with oneself or one's own merits or advantages and situation, often without an awareness of some potential danger or defect. And that's exactly what it means here in verse 1 where Amos is trying to, to speak to this whole nation of Israel, the Israel and Judah, this whole kingdom, and saying, woe to you who are becoming complacent. You're, you're becoming comfortable with how you are, and, and you're thinking you've got there by yourself. Woe to you. The people who have become quite happy with how their life has turned out, they, they're feeling safe and they're feeling secure. They feel like they finally made it. Now, we're in a time right now of the Olympics. I don't know how many of you have watched the Olympics. Most of you at least watch the Australian highlights and stuff of the Olympics. The big, um, the big challenge at our house is that I'm the only American and the rest are Australians. Truly, I mean, I guess a lot of them are kind of half and half, but still, they we're born and raised here. They're Australians. And uh, so 
if you really want to get uh, our daughter Abby going, she's really following the Olympics this year, and if you really want her going, all you have to say is just, wow, isn't America doing so much better than Australia in the Olympics this year? And, um, and you know, I've, I've never even noticed it actually in the last few years. I remember my first Olympics when I came here, um, I was watching the first Olympics, and then I, I watched this thing called the Commonwealth Games. I'd never heard of the Commonwealth Games before. And then I realized that Australians like the Commonwealth Games so much because America's not there. And so they're all of a sudden at the top of the, uh, the medal, medal count. But regardless of that, uh, I love watching the athletes. We, we watch them, and it's amazing isn't it, that these guys, have, these guys and girls have worked their entire life, dedicated it, their, their diet and their exercise, their whole life is this sport. And it all comes down, for many of them, to one event. And, and, and a few m- moments, it, it can all be over one way or the other. And when they finally hold that medal, when they see that, that world record flash across the screen, they just can easily say to themselves, I've made it. Look at me. But isn't it, um, isn't it humbling when you see someone who just is gracious and, and humble now, one of the, the greatest achievers of all times in, in swimming, of course, is the American, I have to have my little American point, is, is Michael Phelps. But at the same time, he's also been one of the most disappointing athletes in terms of bringing the credit to himself. And many of you have seen highlights of him winning a swim, winning a meet, and he, instantly after he's won that gold medal, he stands up, or he's in the pool going, yep, look at me. Praise me. I am number one. And um, while he's one of the greatest swimmers probably of all time, and, great, and one of the fastest swimmers in recorded history, how disappointing it is for a, a country to see someone who represents himself rather than the nation or represents himself. Uh, it's so great when you see an athlete stand up and recognize that he didn't get there by himself. It's a team working together. And, and even Michael Phelps, as great as he is, or great as Hussein Bolt is at, at running, they haven't got there on their, themselves. They've had people work and train and sacrifice alongside them to see them get to the point. And they have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to, to raise others up and to, to serve others where they have an opportunity to kind of bring all the glory on themselves. Now, unfortunately, there's a story similar to that uh, this year in the, um, in the Olympics with the Americans. You're getting a bad, bad rap for the Americans this year. But have you seen the, um, the news that the Athletes' Village this year is... Uh, not kind of up to the standard that it is in the past Olympics. And so many of the Americans have left the athletes' village and they're staying in luxury on a cruise ship uh, nearby. And so they're in the finest of uh, luxury that money can buy, uh, while the other athletes who have also worked their whole lives to get there um, are, are struggling in some, some different conditions. Now, God says to Israel here what most Aussies would say to the Yanks in the Olympics, get over yourselves. 
Get over yourself. But Israel here in this time had become complacent. They just thought, you know, let's just lounge back. We've made it. We are the best of the best. Everyone comes to us. Everyone looks to us. Let's just relax and enjoy the ride. And so we begin to see in in verses 2 to 3 how we start to become couch potatoes. Look what it says in verse 2 and 3. It says, Go to Calnan and look at it. Go from there to the great Hamath. And then go down to Gath in Philistia. In Philistia. Are they better than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. The people addressed here in Israel are kind of the best of the best by the world's standards. These are the the wealthy, the powerful, the popular people. The people who who set trends, the people who set the morals and the morality uh, of the nation. And these are the people that everyone else follow. The sort of people that people follow. And it challenges them to look at the, um, the great cities around. You as Israel are even greater than them. Each of these cities, um, Kalna and, and Hamath, were each large cities which they believe were uh, in part Israeli control or controlled by the nation of Israel but were on the, the borders, were great cities that people went to. And in uh, the city in Gath and Philistia, a Philistine-controlled city, but outside the borders of Israel that people went to, uh, they were a strong uh, cities uh, of power and influence. But even these people in these cities often looked to Israel for advice. And he says, God says to the people here in Israel, Everyone comes to you for advice on, on life and love and happiness. Everyone wants to look to you for how they, they should live. And then verse 3 says, Even when you're saying the day of the Lord or this time of destruction will never come to us, you continue to treat people unfairly in your courts and let injustice reign. So we mentioned last time that the day of the Lord is it's not a, a particular day, but a time in which the destruction will come on the people because they've turned away from God. And the people here are saying, we're turning away from that whole day of the Lord's sort of stuff. That's never going to happen. Because look at us. We've made it. We're, we're sitting back and let's relax. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. Don't worry about that sort of preaching. Don't worry about that sort of those verses in the Bible. Let's just sit back and relax. But they said, even while you're you're refusing to believe that that you could be destroyed because of the way you're living, even though you refuse to believe that you could be punished for turning away from God, you are continuing to do what's wrong. And in, in verse 3, uh, where it mentions the, the reign of terror, you, you turn away from the day of the Lord and you bring on a reign of terror, it's, um, it's actually better translated in the, the RSV of the seed of violence. And these, these leaders are put in a position of of status. People are looking to them for help and for justice uh, in the courts and in the government. And they're using that seed to 
to torture those that they're meant to save. And here we start seeing the people who were great, who God has blessed richly with resources and power and, and wealth and strength, become complacent. We start seeing them become couch potatoes who are just laying back, enjoying the ride. Verses 4 to 6 tell us a bit more about um, what a couch potato looks like. Verse 4 to 6, it says, You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. You do not grieve over the ruin, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. What does a couch potato church start to look like? What does a couch potato look like? Well, we, we see, beginning in verse 4, that they have excessive luxuries. Now, when I think of excessive luxuries, I think of kind of holiday destinations. You think of um, massive, you know, king-size bed or, or bigger. Uh, you've got plenty of room to sprawl out and just kind of relax. Um, those of you who have young kids uh, probably know what it's like to have kids join you in the, in the bed. And the more kids you have, I think the, the less room you have in the bed. And um, Lindy and I used to think, well, we just got to get king-size bed instead of queen-size. And we thought, no, because that's probably inviting them in. Because then we get more room for them to come in. So, but we decided not to downsize either, so we'll just kind of stick with what we got. But, you know, we all have, like, I think in Australia we're blessed to have nice houses. Whether you, you rent or you, you own, really blessed. But then you see houses on TV, like, like that show Cribs that used to show these great um, athlete and artist houses. And it's just ridiculous, isn't it? It's just extravagant wealth. Extravagant, excessive luxuries. They don't just have bedrooms. They've got 30 bedrooms. And it, it's just excessive stuff. I remember when I was in, in high school, I traveled for the first time to the Kentucky State Capitol building uh, where the, the state parliament uh, meets, or state congress meet, And um, it's in Frankfort, Kentucky. And all of the, um, the walls of the building are, are carved out of marble. And it was beautiful to see. But it, it just says with these high ceilings and these extravagant things, it just says wealth and prosperity. It's kind of a thing that just says we've made it. Now, I've never lived in really that sort of luxury. And, and to be honest, it's not really for me. But, but you get the picture, don't you? This sort of picture of beyond greatness. And um, these people kind of, lay back and they set for us a picture of what it's like to have the good life, what it's all about. And, I mean, these people, when, when they throw a party, they really throw a party. Now, my house, for example, just, it looks lived in, and it looks lived in all the time. So I always say anyone's welcome anytime, as long as you're okay to move the laundry off the lounge or whatever and sit down and step over the toys and things. But I've been in plenty of people's houses that, Everything is so nice and it's perfect. You're afraid to sit down on the on the, the lounge or the couch. You think you're going to break something or you're going to stain something. And we've all walked in shops or, or houses. We're like, 
Okay, kids, just stay close. Don't touch anything. Don't move. Um, and we, never, we, we just want to be able to, uh, to live and to enjoy. But these people had the best of the best. And they threw the best of the best feasts in, uh, excuse me, verse 4, chapter 5, uh, chapter, sorry, the second part of chapter 4, uh, sorry, the second part of verse 4, it says they had the excessive feast. And so these guys, when they're throwing a party, they're not just throwing the snags on here. These guys have the, the choicest lamb. They have the best steaks, the prime rib and uh, the slow roasted beef. I'm not going to dwell on this point too long or we're going to lose half the congregation. We're all going to go out for lunch. But these people throw the best feast. And um, we've all been to these things where, or you've seen these feasts on TV, you're just going, oh my goodness, look at all that food. And some of you say it with a big smile. Yeah, look at all that food. The couch potato is kind of lying back, just getting fat on this massive feast. The couch potato becomes this person who's just laying back all the time, having the feast brought to them. And they just sit and enjoy. Not only do they have the excessive luxuries and excessive feasts, but they have excessive entertainment. Verse 5 and, and into verse 6 so they have the, the best music, trend-setting stuff. These guys have uh, the best artists in the world come to them in these most luxurious surroundings. And wherever they sit and eat, the music, musicians just follow them. They're drinking to excess, bowlfuls of wine. Drinking beyond just a glass here and there or what might just be acceptable or... Um, responsible, but they're drinking to what starts to change one's perception and their inhibitions are down, not caring at all for the world. And even then it says they have the, the best of lotions, lathered in the best of lotions. Now, this isn't just to say this is a luxurious thing. This is a negative thing actually saying to, to the people in Amos' time saying, you become soft. Now, when I grew up on the farm, I didn't even realize this, but because I'd just grown up on a farm with everybody else who'd grown up on a farm, but your hands become tough, like tough as nails. And, and I, remember, um, I remember when I was first kind of outside the farm at uni, and I'd shake hands with someone, and they're going, oh, man, your, your hands are rough. Yeah. Now you'd, you'd hold hands with someone, and they're like, oh, goodness, your hands are rough. Because the skin was so, so thick and rough. Now, likewise, even musicians who keep practicing their trade, who keep practicing the, uh, uh, the strings, the guitarists, their fingers become tough and even callous because of that work. But those who just sit back all the time, never working, cutting their hands in nice, soft lotion, become soft and unable to do the work that they're called to do. The couch potato has excessive luxuries and excessive feast, excessive entertainment, but also excessive irresponsibility. Verse 6, the end of that, says, While you're lounging back in those secure surroundings, others around you are suffering. While you're eating these excessive feasts, others around you are starving. While you drink until all the problems of others fade away, you may feel great, 
but the problems of others still persist. They're not gone. You're just not showing any responsibility for them. God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. And you're just lying there, relaxing and enjoying yourself, feasting and drinking, not reaching out to save others with God's grace. Don't you realize your own pending destruction because of God's judgment? Verse 7 leads us to what will happen to the couch potato. Verse 7 says this, Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and your lounging will end. The good times will come to an end. The fame and the fortune will be remembered no more. We all know that you could have a gold medal today and in four years' time, nobody knows your name. The fame is fleeting. The luxuries that you're blessed with are given to you not just to lounge back and enjoy, but to be a blessing to others. God has blessed us as a church so greatly with wealth and prosperity and, and opportunity and gifts and talents. And we have opportunities every day to point people to Jesus. We have opportunities every day to, to bring justice and righteousness. We have opportunities every day to live out the good news that God brings to us. The challenge is for us to stop living for ourselves. The challenge is, us, is for us to live for Him, to show His love. No more couch potato church. We've been comfortable for too long. We have a responsibility. God has blessed us so greatly. And it's easy. It will become easy for us to just lie back and feel like we've made it and feel like we're blessed. We've got a, a great worship team and we've got a comfortable setting and we've, we've got nice morning tea and we can always come here and kind of pat each other on the backs and say, you're, you're a good Christian and you're doing a great work and, and, and we love this time of fellowship together and we can easily just kind of go back into our workplaces or into our families and our daily life and nothing change and have no impact. But the danger of that is we're not being the church God wants us to be. We're not being the church if we just come and, and we sing some great songs together and we pat each other on the back and then we go out and we keep living however we live. We keep living allowing the injustice to happen around us, allowing those to suffer around us, allowing people who we know don't know Jesus around us to just keep on not hearing about love and grace. We as a church have to wake up. We have to get up off the couch and we have to serve. We have to recognize the blessings God has given us. We have to recognize the abundance in which God has resourced us to serve and just step up together and serve. Pick each other up off the couch and serve. Drag each other up off the couch if we need to and serve alongside one another. God has blessed us so greatly. No more couch potato church. Let's serve God faithfully together. Again, I think we've been comfortable too long. Let's challenge each other to serve every day as God's church. Let's just pray.
God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have richly blessed us. Help us, Lord, to not just bask in the radiance of that blessing, but help us, Lord, to use those resources and to use those blessings to bless others. Help us, Lord, to use what you blessed us with to serve you in our community, in our workplaces and at the shops and all throughout the, the week, day in and day out. Help us, God, to pick each other up off that couch, to encourage each other to, to step out and to serve and to use those gifts and to use that blessing to lead people to you. You are the one, Lord, who heals. You are the one who restores. You are the one who saves. Our job is to point people to you. Help us, God, to be a people of love, a grace, mercy, not a people who just bask in the, the riches, but your church who uses what you blessed us with to bless others. In Jesus' name we pray.